Today's scripture readings are from Exodus 17, chapters 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me, the Lord said to Moses. Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because of the Israelites, quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The second reading is from John 4, chapters 7 through 15, or verses 7 through 15. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and, we, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. The word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. So most of you know that our church has a preschool, Washington Park, United Methodist Church Preschool. It may just be the best preschool in all of Colorado. I don't know. I think so. Um, it is one of my favorite things in the whole world to go spend time with the children in the preschool. I don't know if you know where my office is. It's just down this hallway, and I have a door that I can open, and it's right next to the door to the younger part of the preschool. All day, every day, I get to see kids come in and out, parents and teachers, too. But it is also something that um, I really enjoy when I'm having a stressed out time, right? So if I'm doing a lot of work or I haven't gotten up from my desk in a while, I take a walk in the preschool. Just had a stressful meeting, I take a walk in the preschool. Just got off a long Zoom call, a walk in the preschool. 
So I love, love, love visiting the kids. Now there's one little girl in one of our two-year-old classes that cracks me up every time I see her. Often I take a walk in the preschool around 3 p.m. It's the time I'm starting to wilt and may not have the will to continue, so I'll walk in the preschool. Now, typically at that time, the kids have just gotten up from nap. Those who are not staying for aftercare have left, and those that are left for aftercare are getting ready for a snack and then some playing. But with their snack, they always gather their water bottles. And this one particular girl will try to hand the water bottles to each of her classmates. Now, she cannot read the labels that say, you know, names, but she knows exactly which water bottle goes with every child, and she's always trying to hand them out. Even when they're, like, trying to clean up and do things and whatever, she is there, she is handing out water bottles. This started when she was a bunny, when she was one year old. If she ever saw a water bottle on the tables, she would go pick it up and take it to the person it belonged to. She was very concerned about the hydration of her friends. No one can be left out. All must have water. I've also seen several social media posts. Um, you may have seen something like this about how hydrated our current school system's children must be because they always have a water bottle at hand. Those of us who might be a little bit older, had to rely on the one sip we got from the communal water fountain each day to carry us through the whole school day. I remember um, in my elementary school, there was a teacher that would stand by the water fountain, and she would tap your shoulder three times. That is how long you had to drink. You must be done by the third tap. You are not allowed to drink past the third tap. One, two, three, go. Next. You get real mad, too, at any kids that try to be so greedy as to sip past the third tap. And probably you know just from hearing it out in the world, especially here in Colorado, that by the time you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Our human bodies are mostly water. And when we sweat or we lose our body's water through evaporation or other means, our bodies cry out for equilibrium. We need water. Now, sometimes our body mistakes the feeling of thirst as a feeling of hunger. At least that's kind of popular science that I've heard. I actually looked it up, and um, there's not a ton of scientific evidence that goes into this, but I remember hearing at some point, you know, if you're feeling hungry, maybe drink some water and see if actually you were just thirsty. It's, it's been helpful for me. But I do think that the idea of drinking, oh, I just said that. Uh, never mind. I'm, I'm circling around on my own script. Others of us, when we feel thirsty, might reach for something other than water. Thinking about uh, Miss Sherry's 
children's sermon down here. I was like, oh, well, I don't have much to talk about now, Miss Sherry. Thanks so much. But I do think of my daughter, Miranda. She hates water. She will not drink water. She cannot stand it because it's tasteless, she says. When she was younger, she would therefore reach for a soda or an energy drink instead of water. She's in her 30s now. She's a much more mature adult. So she does try to make better choices for the equilibrium of her body by reaching for sparkling water or a flavored water. Some of us reach for coffee all day or an adult beverage all night. And like Ms. Sherry said, those of us here in Colorado are pretty attuned to the idea that we need to be drinking a lot of water because of our altitude and how dry it is here. And some of us really do a good job of drinking enough water because we've got a water bottle next to us all of the time. We have probably all had the experience of our bodies crying out for water but us giving our bodies something else instead. At least once, at least once, I'm sure some of you have done that. Now, when Jesus encounters this woman from Samaria, he is thirsty. It's noon. It's probably hot. He has just walked from Judea on his way to Galilee, and he's stopping at a little town in Samaria. Like Miss Sherry said, you took a lot of my sermon, Miss Sherry, so sorry. Sorry, all of you that get to hear this twice. Jews and Samaritans did not mix. They did not have relationships with one another. There was a very, very firm social wall between Samaritans and Jews. They definitely didn't chat at the local watering hole. And yet Jesus is thirsty and asks for a drink. Now the woman has some courage because probably what she should have done according to social norms would be to ignore him and go along on her way. And yet she is brave enough to speak back to him. And as she questions him, he answers her with, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water, the kind of water that everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again. Anyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. Now Jesus has done something here. He has switched the meaning of a word, or maybe just layered on meaning to what he was talking about. They begin with talking about physical thirst. And this physical water from the well, he says, you can drink it. 
but you will be thirsty again. You will take a walk or you'll sweat in the sun and your body will cry out for equilibrium and you will need another drink. But living water, this living water, will make it so that you are never thirsty again. Of course, the woman is surprised. Give me some of this water, she says. Because she lives in a dry environment and is hot. And there aren't a lot of places to get water. In fact, she's having to walk how far, we don't know, to get the water from this well and take it back to her family. I'm sure she is thinking to herself, I'd love to have some of that living water and never be thirsty again. Never have that ache in my body that I have to go searching for a place in which to receive a drink. It was the French philosopher and mathematician Pascal who suggested that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man or woman which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. In contemporary Christianity, you may have heard this kind of rephrased as the God-shaped whole, a spiritual thirst that can only be quenched by God. So earlier this weekend, I was at a workshop that was talking about different ways to be the church. This was put on by our Mountain Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church, and we are all too aware that all denominational churches, all of those that have these very specific structures, while alive, are declining in membership and giving, and sometimes even existing. And so this training was talking about how we might be able to reach out to those who are not in the building, that this is an important thing, this inherited or institutional church, but there are other ways to be expressive of church. Our speaker was a gentleman named Reverend Michael Beck. He's a United Methodist um, pastor in Florida. He and his wife serve two different churches part-time. And they call their churches the Inherited Church. And then with their um, empowerment and equipping of lay leadership, lay people have gone out and started what is called Fresh Expressions of church. It's really kind of exciting and interesting to hear about. Um, there was a whole cadre of fresh expressions um, that this man's churches have um, kind of birthed. So there's a burritos and Bibles that weekly they get together at a, a Moe's Mexican grill or something like that. I don't know. It's like a Chipotle, he said. Um, 
has been going 11 years, and people meet and eat burritos and, uh, you know, chips and salsa and uh, look at their Bibles and talk about that. There's a tattoo parlor church that's been going for 10 years. They have... um, a yoga church, they have a dog park church. Um, he's tried different efforts to just kind of figure out where people are. And so when his kids were younger, he tried to start kind of like a soccer parents church. Um, he kind of aged out of that. But all these different ones. He has a new one that was fascinating. His newest endeavor is a Tesla power station church. What are those called? It's called something, but it's where you go and you plug in your Tesla and like there's a whole bunch of people that gather around and so they have a time for prayer and just really, really interesting. So um, part of his encouragement was to figure out where people are. Where do they gather outside of home and outside of work and go from where we are to where they are? that there really is a thirst for community and connection in lots of places. And sometimes we have to go there. And so one of the questions was, what makes church? Is it the music or the offering or the sermon or the building or the coffee afterwards? What really makes church? And so as Michael Beck was talking about different fresh expressions, he said that Really, you need only four things. And he kind of had this cross with something coming off of each edge. He said, one, you need God. Two, you need a sense of being part of something larger than yourself. Three, you need a community And Jesus is pretty generous with us when he says, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. And four, you need the ability to share with others. Jesus offers all of these things to the Samaritan woman. One, he offers God and the idea of God through the offering of living water. Two, he offers a sense of being part of something larger as they gather around the well of their ancestor Jacob, who drew water from that well generations before and other generations had drawn from since. Three, he offers connection to a community as he reaches across this chasm of cultural difference to share with her. And four, he offers the opportunity to share when he asks her for what he needs. We are body and spirit created with a thirst, a desire to search for equilibrium in our bodies and spirits. Sometimes we try to fill this space with things that don't fit, things that don't actually bring nourishment and refreshment. So what 
will bring balance? What will offer us wholeness? Living water from a deep well. Living water freely shared. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.